When you start the tournament having never played, and you end the tournament having never been scored on, it's That's MLS. Yes. A North American soccer podcast with myself, Andrew Bates, and Nick Thornton. Hello, hello, hello. I have just, I have, uh, after, um, 180 minutes plus whatever he played in Seattle, uh, been converted into a Thomas Hassall stand. Oh. What, a, like, even, <laughs> even if he'd come out and just eaten it, I feel like we'd still all be like, just well done, sir. But the fact that he came out, um, and ostensibly kept three clean sheets, or, well, was not scored on in the three games be, he played on until penalties. It'd be two clean like, sheets, yeah. You know, the fact that he even saved one of those penalties again is like he's so far surpassed what anybody expected, which is uh, is great to see. The Vancouver Whitecaps uh, third string keeper going into it had uh, had had quite the time after um, Maxime Crepeau, uh had to bow out after having his hand stomped on, um, and and attracted a lot of attention. For me, it is the. Uh, it was his like immediately once he started yelling at people to tell him where the heck to go was very to me like okay this is an interesting view this this individual this. has my attention uh it was part of a uh many many games that have taken place between you and I have talked the time that, that you and I have talked last we are now uh we are now done the knockout stages of the um MLS is back tournament um knock on wood that uh we so far have gotten no additional covid tests from yeah. anybody in that in that zone still i'm still firmly on the idea that everything that went on before like signifies that the plan went wrong but at this point things are good or not good but things are um safer than they were when we all started off so yeah i, I mean i feel like for that. some some credit has to be given to the fact that the situation didn't become worse that's not to say it was a good idea in the first place but the fact that it's been several weeks now without any positive tests would seem to indicate that they've really straightened things out um and are all across the board adhering to protocol and, and just um keeping people safe which I suppose is good, but I've I've still had op, uh, chances where I've been thinking about it, and I'm like, it's weird to be doing a soccer podcast right now. Like, I enjoy doing it, don't get me wrong, but I really do feel like just none of this should be happening right now. <laughs> like, when you look at the the types of problems that people are, people are dealing with, it's sort of like a was this really the thing that needed to be pushed ahead? But here we are, we're in it. Well, it's almost like now you have the. The the issues are being replicated on on a culturally large scale, as you know, you have the the issues that Major League Baseball has had in trying to do home market stuff. I think that that whatever we have talked about so far is going to be completely different when we talk about the idea of MLS wanting to do home market stuff afterwards. Uh, yeah, um, but it has been a it has been a weird experience. I I want to say just because like. Even to support your own team is to is to is to say, you know, I don't think that this should be happening, but 
I mean, like, like, and I've been talking about the the chill soccer thing. Do we want to start with talking about the the, the weird week that the Whitecaps had? Yeah, let's do it. So, so, you know, the game against Seattle where um, Propo has his hand stomped by Hedwal Buana at, at the time that there are at three nothing down after the San Jose game was was sort of like this idea of just feeling like you want to have chill soccer or like like in the in in my idea of of, of chill soccer is. Soccer happens and you can't get too mad if it goes badly because there's a lot of things going on mm-hmm. outside of the pitch that might have have created that issue. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, uh, the goals are scored and then you think, oh, no, this is still not going well. And, you know, the, the Whitecaps are missing so many players. And then you look up at Krapow as being, you know, tended to on the sidelines. Well, and at first the injury looked quite... Uh, odd, and people were talking about him holding his ribs, or looked like he got hit in the head. But he was holding; he was sort of cradling his hand in towards his chest. And right away, I was like, "Well, that could be bad because it's so easy to damage your hands as a goalkeeper, where all it takes is, you know, snapping a finger back and or, or something like that, where a break can happen pretty easily." So when they said fractured hand, I was like, "Well, that's." better than a broken finger but also like not the quickest thing to heal um, every other time this week that i've seen a goalkeeper throw their hands underneath somebody's boots i've just been like ah don't do it i mean better <laughs> the hands than the head um but i mean did i guess the my starting point for this one was what what were your expectations of the white caps going into this game against seattle well the, i i think that that's the i think the thing even though the, the San Jose game went poorly, um, it hit. No, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> well, I mean, they went poorly. It's, well, like they still scored a lot of goals, right? So you had thought, you know, maybe with the with the the personnel that were um, in attendance, that they could maybe make something work against Seattle, a team that had been performing very poorly before they ran into the Whitecaps and continue to perform very poorly after they ran with the That's the caps. frustrating thing about this game is that I thought Seattle Seattle looked pretty good and it felt like they were they always had our number but they played terribly up to this point and then they played terribly afterwards their one good game was against Vancouver and it was just all downhill from there I think the thing that that I'm trying to think about when it comes to this tournament is that there was so much that seemed piecemeal, especially in that game about, or you know, t- tentative about how the team was was attack was approaching, not only defending but also trying to bring the ball forward for mm. for the attack. Yeah. And although there are a lot of missing players, there are also players that are in that position um, that I do it, by this point want to see something positive attacking from, like uh, Imbam Wong. Um. Uh. Man, we have so much stuff to cover. <laughs> right, 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 right. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I'll no, get no, to that no. point. I, I just mean in terms of like, in terms of like the things that we could talk about with just the white caps. Is, is I just had a moment of like, oh, there's a lot of. Do we talk about the games, or we do, do we talk about player performances, or just, whew, lots to chew on there. I think in terms of what the what, like, expectation the white caps had to achieve. The answer is none, especially not after those two games. 
to like the the clear the clear message out of that was we're not really going to be able to compete in an attacking sense and we are going to have to throw a lot of effort behind defending um and we went into that game against Chicago in the first 63 minutes of that game uh told that story there were no shots on target um the everything was based on 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 defending those waves of attacks mm-hmm. like San Jose had now they said I think that they they read it wrong Sporting Kansas City uh San Jose broke their own record for shots in the first half which they set last year against Vancouver and it was just yeah. another uh in in all of these games were were games where things were just being sort of like swamped on the Vancouver defense and when it was with Crepeau you'd say oh well at least we've got Crepeau in there uh, so with a with a backup goalkeeper, and the Whitecaps had also signed a one day loan from Jonathan. We we borrowed a keeper for a day because we were uh, we were on our third and we didn't have a backup. Um, the uh, like you would wonder a little bit about that, but Hassal proved very you know adept in organizing his defense and getting them to be where he wanted to be, and he was very confident. Um, he almost he almost did try to stop a ball with his head in, in terms of doing a diving header or almost got into trouble. That's the only thing approaching a mistake that I'd seen. But this weird sequence of events takes place where I think that maybe you looked at the San Jose game and around the 60th minute, they had this line change that brought on Wondolowski and Salinas. And from that point on, you kind of now you stop seeing Reyna, or at least in those two the two games the Whitecaps did well. Reyna doesn't start. Reyna comes on at the 60th minute for the Whitecaps. Mm-hmm. And in the that game against Chicago, they also had Milinkovic. So they um, they bring on this offensive line change. A storm happens. Both teams have to wait for 93 minutes, and then when they come back for some reason. They're, the Whitecaps are able to find Chicago and Napping, get two breakaways. Reina, score, uh, Reina scores. Jordi Reina then finds Christian Dahomey for a, a, a second. And, and when you know it, it happened somehow. I mean, give us 60 minutes in the middle of a game and we will come back and mess you <laughs> up. Yeah, I mean, I thought the two goals were, like, great from a finishing perspective because that's something – we've seen those types of chances go wanting from the Whitecaps. But um, I thought it was two great goals off of just really pulled apart Chicago defending. Um, Chicago defending in this game kind of reminded me of uh, the Houston-Portland game where Houston's just stretched so far across the field and, like, really – trying but just not picking up their men and uh, a marking system that I don't fully understand or comprehend I'm not sure they did either but they're just everybody's in the wrong place and is watching opponents run by them and I felt like Chicago really I don't know if they did take a nap during that 60 minute break but they came out just very flat um uh, the a couple of points that I wanted to, to ask you about from just the Whitecaps performances in general um, because I think we, we can agree that like neither of us expected much out of their tournament um, in fact the fact 
that they made it as far as they did is kind of amazing considering the personnel. A question I had for you is that given what they were able to achieve in going rather far without five starters and then their final game against SKC um, down a couple more players because Milinkovic wasn't playing, Um, I believe Yasser Kamiri... He didn't get the. Kamiri still has his knee problem. Kamiri has his knee problem. I think it's arguable about whether or not he would have started anyway. But you just see, you know, a, a third string Whitecaps put up a good fight against a strong Peter Vermees side. Um, <laughs> last track of my question. <laughs> All the context and setup, and I was like, wait, where am I? Where am I going with this? The five players. Right. Okay. So, let's presume. If in a month or so time there's a some sort of season, who do you start? Who's the Whitecaps starting eleven? Which, you know, of course we don't hold anything against those players that stayed behind. But if you're able to almost sort of get the job done with this lineup, the question then becomes: Is that just a fluke, or are these the players that actually want to compete? And you, maybe you're better off giving them minutes, even if they're not consistent. I think that the now, if you think about it, now I wasn't even. I know we had two games, but I like coming into the tournament. Players like um, Malinkovic and um, Veselinovic. Yeah, uh, I was not particularly like like the most aware of them. I think that that one of, but I think that one of the things that you will see. And this is the thing that 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 comes into that weird situation about them switching to do the 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 sixty minute stuff with Reyna and Malinkovic. Mm-hmm. It's almost in that case, and I don't. I, I'm trying not to be negative, but some of the people that were in those positions, I don't really think that Bear played himself into a spot here. Mm-hmm. I certainly don't think that Imbon played himself into a spot here. All right. Um, yeah. And, and and so I I wonder if it is actually, in some cases, there are players who, you know, the, some of the newcomers are, are definitely interesting and, and, and deserve a look. But, I mean, like some of the, some of the players that were challenging to build an attack around have been around for a while. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair point. Um, a couple of players that I, I wanted to talk about, and I know we've got a lot of other other stuff to cover as well. But um, what do we do about Inbom? How how do we feel there? What what's how do we assess? I mean, it's crazy weird times, and it feels unfair to judge any player right now. But I've got a massive question mark over Inbom. What are your thoughts? I think that the I almost don't want to say anything because I know that they you know there was the Mark Dos Santos quote where he says you don't know what people are like in training or what have you that that necessitates people making that the start and and only they will truly understand the 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 progress that the player is making from a training perspective. Um it's clear that to me, that having him be a stand-in for Jordi Reyna in terms of that playmaker is not necessarily where he is best suited. Sometimes it feels like when he's on the ball, he is trying to think up 
like he's trying to improvise ideas on the spot. Like he has the ball and he's thinking, what, what, what do you do next now? Do you pass it down the line? Like it, it, it sometimes doesn't really feel like it suits him as much to be in that situation of control and organization. Um, I don't know if you could maybe convert him to an outside wing and utilize his speed a little bit. Yeah. But I don't yeah. think I don't think he fits as like a backup to Reyna to use exactly in the same formation when Reyna's not around. I agree. I mean I, I think that's one of those things where you can go, he's the the next best player in terms of technical skill that you, you'd put in that forward uh attacking role, um, sitting behind the striker, but it, it, you, people have talked about him performing best as a six um, and sitting and occupying one of those central midfield positions. However, I would agree that that's probably his better position, but I still don't think he's particularly effective there. I guess the thing I come back to is, like, what's his role within the team? Um, he's obviously got crazy technical ability, but when he's sitting deep in the midfield, okay, he's able to spray some passes. I think his defensive side of his game has improved significantly. But he's not a true center defensive mid. Um, a lot of his passes have been errant. He's not really a box-to-box midfielder. He's not moving the team forward with his passes, which isn't to say it's all on him. I just I feel like we've played in multiple different formations with him in different positions, and... I keep coming back to like in order for him to really work I feel like you need different players around him but with the current squad that we have I feel like you get you know 70 or so minutes out of a really high quality player but doesn't really know what his role is or (laughs) doesn't seem to have a, a huge impact on the game and I know that a lot of people love him and it's it's sacrilege to talk about a soccer player that has such high pedigree and, and such playing ability. But at the same time, you see less good players who are more effective around the league. And it sort of becomes a bit of almost like a vanity player who has amazing ability, but you're not able to really unlock. I, I really don't see a player in MLS that who's going up against him that struggles to get by him. Um, it, and it's not for lack of work ethic. It, it's just uh, for me. I still think I don't. I don't quite see where he fits in with Mark Dos Santos' plan. I think that there are players in, that the Whitecaps have had over time that are that fit into the sort of that. Um, well, I guess the thing is, is that the Whitecaps have more often had players that are in the speedster role that they can sort of give time to and if it doesn't work out it's fine like um you know that's you know the original plan with Darren Maddox and I think that's what they did with Alfonso and uh Kikuda Mane um and the thing is is that somebody that is in that outside position can kind of just noodle around a little bit but I don't know that somebody who's expected to be more of a midfielder can do that yeah, exactly. No, it's a, a perfect way of putting it. Is it? It's it's just sort of like a across the board like C plus B performances that you know. I know that there's a lot of work that goes in from central midfielders that goes unnoticed, but um, I I still I I tend to think like if he, if his best role is as a deep sitting central defensive mid, 
you could find better, cheaper players in that same position. It's not that he does a terrible job of it. It's just that why, why are you paying to have that type of player in that position? I mean, in, I in the, the case question... of in the games here, is we didn't have Andy Rose who could fill that role. But then again, as soon as you put a player in that position, where do you put Inbaum where he's going to be effective? I think the question that is going to um, fall to Marta Santos and the coaching staff once uh, like a fuller understanding of, of what's happening for the team post-tournament is going to go on is where do we want Inbaum to be you know, next season, like, like, like mm-hmm. by the end of the season in terms of like, where do we want him to progress to? Because it's like, I kind of feel that the initial pitch that he was given to come here was the idea that he would come here, be transformed as a player, and then somebody would sign him for Europe. Yeah. Um, that his D I have no idea what the planned metamorphosis was that would get him to that point. It has not necessarily arisen. So I I feel like the I have no problem with continuing to give time to him and, and to give minutes to him. But I'm hoping to have some sort of goal of like here's where we expect this player to get to. Like the like like because you make the point of like, you know, we could get other people to do the the style of job that he's doing. Well, Hopefully, it is even more than what he's doing that we could get this player to progress. Yeah. So and that has it. to be kind of like the goal, I think, in 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 finding a way to make that happen and 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 embarking on it as opposed to using him in a position because he plays the position. Well, I think that some. I mean, we, we all know we've been missing uh, a midfield forward link to actually get some of our forward players in. And I, that's where I've seen Inbaum is perhaps having like a beat, a bit more of a free roaming number 10 role where he, he's sitting a little bit deeper. Maybe he's sitting on top of a, a midfield diamond and is m- maybe not quite a box to box midfielder, but is working to collect the ball in midfield or collect passes from midfield and get the team forward and find open players and, and be some of that link. For me, that sort of feels like what the the sell on Inbaum would be. Um, I, I feel like it's, you know, it was Pedro Morales was our last true midfielder like that, where we actually had a player that was setting up goals and scoring goals. And since then, our midfield's been pretty, you know, guys who can get the job done, but don't have that same creative attacking um, mentality. And it's, to be clear here, like... Inbaum's a hard worker. I think he's a great player. It just feels like, you know, the Whitecaps went out and bought this piece that they weren't really sure how they were going to use. And now he's he's beginning to, like, stagnate a bit in these sort of service roles that he's being asked to fill in. And it's not that he's not doing a good job. It's just that, as you said, coming in, there is a certain expectation. And, and it, it's... I'm not saying it's like mission critical right now. It just feels like, okay, how long do you go before you address the issue? And, and it's kind of seems like it is one at this point. That totally makes sense. I mean, I I, at the, the end the, of the day, I'd rather have Inbaum on the pitch in that role than not. There is, I, I think that we've reached sort of the limit of that with the, based on this tournament, just because you, you know, 
any any player's performance is really tough to judge out of this. And and I think the point in in general about the Whitecaps that I am left with at the conclusion here is that I would if they heading into that Chicago goal game, I was thinking, can we at least end this term? If I was thinking, can we end this term with a point? Yeah. And then we won't have, uh, and then we won't have, uh, you know, done the World Cup thing of enter, of, of exiting a, a, the the group stage without having gotten a goal or a point. Um, and it was so much more than that. And then they had the extra game, and they made it through the penalties. And it was so much more than 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 just sort of making it through. And I am thankful for that little bit of hope and joy, yeah, even it- if. When they got to the penalties, they didn't have the offensive staff, and that was the same issue as the whole tournament. But I was still really happy to see all of that bonus stuff. Sure. And, 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 and it could be a really critical moment for the Whitecaps to, to build a bit of mentality, to, to go in there as a club where, and Mark Dos Santos has talked about this, is like nobody expected them to do anything. So, you know, they got three points out of a possible nine. And they made it through to the knockout stage um, and lo- went down on PKs for the same reason that they didn't do better in the tournament in the first place. So no, it's really hard to look at it and be like, well, that was a failure. It's like the fact that they fielded a team was a success for most of these matches. <laughs> yes, um, absolutely. Shifting gears a little bit, I wanted to know just because um, there are a lot of games to talk about, and, I mean, obviously we can't run through every fine detail of every single game. I'm curious to know who, for you, the team of the tournament has been so far. For you, in terms of... um, What criteria am I basing this on here? Team that you've most enjoyed watching that's also been successful, I guess. There, I think in this case, it has been so... Because of the... the the levels of changes between the two, between I guess the knockout round, like the, like it's it's clear that a preliminary round is so important in a scenario like this to give everybody a little bit of chance to get legs underneath them, mm-hmm. um, because a team like New York really struggled initially. New York City struggled initially, and then has now now uh, now found their form, and there were a lot of teams that are operating at a sort of what you would potentially say is a, is a higher level than what you would expect. Mm-hmm. Um, now the question is what is going to cut like, like, so it's hard for me to say right now the, what team is the team of the tournament? Because it's like, to me it is going to be whichever one of Orlando, Philadelphia, um, San Jose or Minnesota that advance to the final. If mm-hmm. any of them can, if any of them can make it to the final and or win, like I think that 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 set of four teams are teams that were not particularly um, great last or like 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 were of varying amounts last year. Philadelphia were in the playoffs, obviously, but um, but or like Philadelphia had a decent run in the playoffs, obviously. Um, but like teams that everybody has want to see move into that contender realm. Mm-hmm. But in terms of uh, making good on that promise, that is like you have to do that by getting there. 
uh, and getting to the, the to the final stage. I've been excited to watch all of them, but it's just like which which one um, which one is the is is the most fun to watch? Well, I would say it's like I'm the most interested by the teams that are sort of outplaying their initial form, right. uh, or sorry the 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 form um, from the before times. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that maybe if you have to pick out of those four, if you have to pick one. San Jose might be the team. They are fun as heck to watch. Um, they've had an interesting tournament. They've been up and down. I feel like they're one of the teams that really did pick up from last year, uh, right where they left off. They beat Chicago 2 nothing in a, a pretty convincing performance. Um, maybe not surprising, given Chicago's form. Um, but then they... They have this absolute route of RSL recently. Um, and it's 5-2. And I just, I keep thinking, every time I see San Jose, like, you can say whatever you want about their system, but they're so hard to mark because the players move in a much more fluid way with this man-marking system mm. that it's a nightmare to play against when you have players who are overlapping, switching positions constantly, covering for one another. It's a difficult style of play to learn, but once you do have that ingrained in your system, um, it can be incredibly effective, as as we've seen. And, you know, RSL, San Jose, you don't think it's going to be great defending. San Jose remains very, very open at times. It's been interesting to me that there's not more comparison made between San Jose and LAFC, because I think ultimately they do play a fairly high-press attacking style of soccer that's really about, um, you know, trying to win possession back and hit people on the counter, and their defense is their offense. Um, obviously, LAFC is a little, more, um, a little more clinical with it, but I feel like San Jose really has just shown time and time again that they're a team that consistently brings the goals and have so many different players that can score goals and are just are going to be a really difficult team to beat going forward. That makes sense. It, it's a good point because both of them had the lopsided games in the knockout stage. Um, San Jose RSL to me was a game where you really found, uh, you know, they score. Um, Espinosa gets one pass with Zach McBeth, and they immediately respond. RSL do, and then um, there is a penalty. There is. Uh, my all oh right, so uh, San Jose goes up three uh, one. Crowlock scores back. Crowlock goes back to make it three two. This is one that I absolutely think that RSL fumbled in terms of this red card that happens to Marcelo Silva right after because they were trying to put together the makings of a comeback. Yeah, um, and obviously getting a red at that stage is the absolute worst thing you want to do. Giving up a handball penalty when you're down 4-2 is probably a bad thing. And mm-hmm. also giving up a second red is also probably a really bad way to plan your uh, your comeback. Yeah, and it's an, uh, interesting for RSL. You know, there's still just, I think, a, lo- a lack of discipline and organization there. That RSL is always fun to watch and you're, you never quite know what's going to happen. But I would love to just see, watch an RSL that just seems a little bit more in control of a game they play. 
it just it always feels like they're they're a team that can throw a wrench in the gears of anybody, but they're also a team that are fairly easily unlocked at times. Um, and how many times have we said this of RSL in the past three or four years where they're, they kind of are their own undoing? Um, they have these chances to get back into games, and sometimes they do, and then sometimes all wheels come off the cart, and that's the end of the story for them. Um, I definitely agree with that. San Jose did look good, and and, and they had, you know, the... The strategy of bringing Wondolowski on late continues to get paid dividends. The guy just... I feel like he really loves to score goals or something. When it comes to uh, to uh, LAFC, I'm like... De- I'm developing this contrarian take. And I think this was true of both LA, of, um, LA teams, both in the, the version of El Trafico, which for some reason prompted discussion over whether or not it's a dumb name it's a fun joke guys yeah fine mls it. is only fun so long as we don't take it super seriously uh the both of these teams but especially lfc are scoring lots of goals they're getting lots of pins and yeah. that's you can't you can't you know be be like you know not i'm not saying that they're not worthy pants but there are uh, for all the goals that Rossi has scored in this tournament, a lot of them have been from the penalty spot. And and I wouldn't necessarily say that it's the same free wheel and free gun in LAFC that we've seen elsewhere. Certainly they've looked good. And Ro- I'm not saying that to take anything away from Rossi, who has also scored some phenomenal goals from open play. Um, yeah, he's had, had a, a heck of a tournament. Um, and San Jose have had San Jose have had penalties as well. I just think that is is when you talk about why we don't talk about the two teams as matching up against each other, or or why or the the relative amounts of hype. I do think that the MLS hype machine <laughs> loves the idea that there are multiple goals being scored in in lots of LAFC games, including the game against Seattle and the knockouts. Yeah, if we want to start there, I mean th- this. It wasn't a great game. I think that's largely because Seattle has not had a great game this tournament. Um, obviously, the setup for this one is Seattle knocked LAFC out of the playoffs last year, and so they had a bit of a, a debt to settle there. And LAFC has definitely looked uh, a bit shaky in some of their games, but this one against Seattle, it's fairly even for the most part, uh, I would say, through the first 60 minutes or so. But Bob Bradley just has this tendency to like let teams play for a little bit with his squad and then he just he knows the the level of fitness and ability that they have and then it's sort of like at some point he's just like all right boys um so everybody just like kick it up like five more notches here and, it's the, <laughs> and then the laf lafc like locomotive is on the tracks running full steam and all of a sudden it's four one and you're like wait Nothing has happened Wait, in this game for 60 minutes. How is this 4-1 now? When did that happen? <laughs> oh, jeez. A great goal from... Uh, you had a you had the Rossi pin. You had an own goal after it bounced in off Shane O'Neill from Seattle. You had a Rossi goal. A great uh, great ball that was rolled past the post that was, in, that was not a penalty. And then the... Um, Will Bruins one goal for Seattle was great, uh, but then you also have uh, 
Svensson and just cross uh, it up to nobody. Yeah, which is like really uncharacteristic of him, but <laughs> or or cross it up with with nobody around him to Brian Rodriguez for that fourth. So a week, a little bit of a week outing for Seattle, but LA has been going strong. Um, one of the the things that we talk about, and, and this is not MLS Cup, um. But one of the one of the weird recurring themes in MLS knockout rounds over the years has been uh, Toronto running into New York City FC in the knockout stages. And the tale uh, as old as time. And they have generally been successful because they ran into that that uh, that big New York City FC um, season. And they beat them seven nothing on aggregate. So they're almost kind of like a bogey team for for New York City sometimes. Uh, but as Jonathan Frakes would say, not this time. No. And like uh, Toronto, it's funny. Seattle and Toronto, I thought, had very similar tournaments where it was, you saw brief little moments of the quality that they have, but they just were not really ready. It feels like if if this had been. Uh, a week longer or something, they might have done a little bit better. But Toronto here just really kind of all over the place. I mean, early on in this tournament, I think we saw their ability to score goals. But um, conversely, New York City FC, which will we ever learn to stop underestimating them? It's like every year we do this where we're like, I don't know. People keep talking about how good they are. They're just not doing so well. And then they, they just, maybe they listen to this podcast, but they uh, they tend to turn things on. And this was a big game for New York City FC's big players, and there were some question marks over them about um, their service and um, you know what they were bringing to the team. And this, to me, this game was just like classic New York City FC. It was also classic New York City FC versus Toronto in many ways, minus mm-hmm. Toronto having much fight in them. Um, the Medina goal to start with is great. Um... Valentin Castellanos has that goal on 55 minutes after he sort of lit up Omar Gonzalez. Um, and then you had uh, Morales on 81 scores the, the, the final goal. And then TFC has the 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 consolation for Patrick Mullins. I have written down here, just I thought TFC was a little bit better in the second half. That, and I think this applies to the LA game with Seattle as well. It's like a game of two halves. And Toronto lost both of those games. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I mean, we're we can only talk about what exists in front of us, and that's in this tournament. Toronto really kind of seemed to have left their their winning boots at home. You know, much love, the, big respect, but it wasn't, the organization it wasn't good. is what is is what it comes down to for defensively mm-hmm. for them. If they don't have yeah. that, they have the the problem. The you when we were going through these some of these uh, clips today, you said that you and and again I want to be having the, I want to have the chill soccer perspective. I don't get want to get too worked up about any of this, and and, and I'm glad that everybody is is coming back safe. But you had mentioned that a lot of this it it some of the discussion has been that this has not all been good, and I think you know in terms of match quality, yeah. Um, and I think that some of the, the 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 prime example of this are two the two games in the knockout stages on the twenty fifth, 
uh, which was my birthday. Uh, uh, Orlando and Orlando, Montreal, and, and Philadelphia, New England were both games I felt that were like imprecise. Yeah, was almost the best way to describe them. Yeah, yeah, games that just reminded me an awful lot of a preseason game, and just which everybody's talked about it. There's a certain amount of rust on every team, and you're not expecting the highest quality of sport, but. For 90 minutes, both of these games really failed to impress me much. And I get, like, it's a crazy thing to be asking these players to do, but, you know, if we're just talking about chill soccer in front of us, there's been some pretty fun chill soccer being played. Um, The only real highlight out of either of these games for me is just Sergio Santos making it happen for Philadelphia and and getting a goal there. I expected better of New England. I, I thought that they, they could have had a stronger tournament and they showed signs of it, but kind of coughed up this one. And Philadelphia, maybe just looking a bit tired with so many games, decided to just keep it at, at 1-0. I mean, and it's a great result for Orlando, but not a great game. I, there's really not too much to talk about here beyond just Montreal just needs a certain something, and I have no idea what that is because so much seems to work and so much about it seems to be good just not good enough to really win anything like a game of soccer <laughs> uh it's it's coming along and, and you see that that the the i have been i think that what we're seeing on the pitch is good whenever whenever it's there and there's lots of great chances but i think that what's frustrating to me about a game like that is that you have so many chances from both sides, and then the goal that is scored is the weird, fluky one, where uh, where Danny slips it past the the back line and Tesho just taps it in, just like you have all of these well put together actual plays that don't have any success on yeah. both sides, and then it's just sort of like a weird gamble Boop. pops up and there's a there's a little breakdown and then that's that was the goal. Yeah. I wonder if it's just the heat and discomfort, like like which is another aspect of it's not a COVID based aspect of the problem with trying to put on this tournament, but it's another reason why the putting on the tournament is a problematic decision. Yeah, it's like it's which I I I don't mean to say that like like it's on the same level at all but it's like you know if you are trying to put this together you are compromising the safety and effectiveness of the players at the same time as you're also putting them at risk yeah i agree and you you get content out of that but it's not mm-hmm. like you know it doesn't always feel good um the two the, the the last two games in the knockout stages uh, after Vancouver and um, Sporting Kansas City had their uh, penalty shootout, we had another pair of penalty uh, shootout experiences. We sure did. Um, the Columbus-Minnesota matchup was probably the one that I was watching a little bit more closely here. Um, Caleb Porter talked before about how Adrian Heath kind of likes to undersell his team a bit and how he, he, he goes a little bit down on his team um and that's probably not the right expression he he is down on his team a little bit um but minnesota is a very good team and i thought that was clever for porter to read them like that and i thought overall columbus tactically played this game very well um it's one one 
going into the PKs, of course, there's no added time for the knockout stages. Um, and Minnesota is just able to sort of s- snatch this one away from Columbus, which I, I feel like Columbus is a little hard done by because they had an excellent tournament and defensively were the, the strongest team by far. Um, and so to lose it in this fashion feels a little bit cruel. However, I think it makes sense to not be playing with the added time. And I, I just think that Minnesota showed yet another way that they can win a game. The when you're in the the, the penalty stages, you you see how uh, how how it could pan out, and, and certainly one of the things that really pan out for Minnesota here is Tyler Miller, who had um, a great game both in regular time and also in the shootout. Yeah, we've talked about uh, Tyler Miller a bit, um, and had questions about him when he was L- at LAF. LAFC, and then when he started with Minnesota, but I I feel like overall he's had a really strong outing in this tournament and seems a little bit more comfortable in Minnesota. Um, Cincinnati were one of the the interesting stories of the uh, of the knockout rounds as being also a team that made it out of the group stages, um, thanks in part to uh, beating Atlanta, but they also then went on to beat. Um, oh, I have it in my notes. Where did who else did they beat? Um, didn't they get a second win in the in the um, group stages against they, New York? Yeah, yeah. Um, which is like not taking anything away from Cincinnati in this game. They really shifted gears and uh, sort of reinvented themselves. But oh, the Red Bulls were so bad. Just not just this game, but this tournament. The Red Bulls for me are are just. It's like did, were they here? Did they come to the tournament? Oh, they did. And then just completely crashed out. I I went and looked at this uh, the goal that was scored in that game against Cincinnati, where uh, Harris Madunian hits the um, the corner kick Olympic the the Olympia uh, yeah. the Olympic goal um, Olympico the uh, the that is not really I don't really think it was an Olympico because it touched two players. But it like the on first the first time you look at it, it looks like it goes directly in, and then when you see the replay, it's like it bounces off a defender and then also the goalkeeper. Like they're yeah, it was a it was a rough time for New York, but they made it all the way to to the game against Portland, and I think that from where they were last season, that's an accomplishment. And I think it's funny and sad that they had this first goal that they scored that they do this. This cute little car celebration, and then it's called off for far. I feel like if your whole team has already celebrated the goal, the goal should just stand regardless. <laughs> it's just so much to call that back afterwards. Um, it's the it's the it is the Maradona rule, where he says, <laughs> you know, if we celebrate, if we don't celebrate, they'll take it away. So we have to celebrate, so they won't take it yeah. away. Yeah. Um, I thought Portland. You know, it probably deserves to win this one. I mean, they do deserve because they did. But um, I feel like Portland has had a, a little bit of a, a shaky tournament at times, but have, for me, looked like one of the more exciting teams and one of the teams that's kind of lived up to what people might have expected. Um, there, there's just a few 
really bizarre decisions in this game at times. Clark has had a, a tournament where he's come up with some huge saves, but his decision-making lets him down in this game. as he He's like diving towards the ball with his hands, but then decides to play with feet, but takes a heavy touch and just basically kicks it to Alan Cruz and then tackles Alan Cruz with his hands and <laughs> gives up a PK, which is why they go in 1-1. So I, I feel like probably Portland deserved to win this one because if it's not for that one decision they do win this one one nothing anyway um it's just it's a little bit it's always hard when you have a team like Cincinnati fight and fight and fight and really come into this game um feeling like momentum is on their side they're finally catching a break and then just watching Waston just sky his PK is just such a like characteristic Cincinnati moment where you're like and there's the team that we all know and love. And just like that, Cincinnati's out. However, the fact that they made it this far and they turned it around for me is nothing short of a miracle because, boy, that first game was was rough. A win against Atlanta is not something anybody could take away from you when it, when <laughs> no. it comes to that. No. Uh, the anytime there's like a genre of Portland game that I like recognize as sort of being like the weary adventures of Steve Clark where he has a lot put on him and he he very much seems put upon but somehow at the end like pulls it through to become the 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 goalie with the heart of gold he saves it and and in this case he lets up he he surrenders that PK um and then is one of the key, you know, before Waston, he's the one who hits, who gets the stop in penalties. Yeah. So it's like, I find my eye so often, um, like attracted to just be like to, to him and what his arc is during the course of some of these, these key games for Portland. Yeah. Um, do you have anything else from the, we've, we've, we've covered all the knockout games. Do you have anything else from sort of the group stage that we might have glossed over that you wanted to point out? Not really. I mean, we haven't talked about Philadelphia or Sporting Kansas City. Both teams made it through. Sporting Kansas City beat Vancouver on penalties. Philadelphia tucked away their fairly easy win against New England, as we mentioned, so they'll be facing each other next. Um, The only other news is really uh, Atlanta has fired their coach, which is not an MLS anything until a coach gets fired. (laughs) <laughs> Imagine you have such a short little window of time in a thing that doesn't really matter, and you don't even make it back home. Uh, DeBoer is out at Atlanta, and they uh, now have an interim coach and are doing the old worldwide search for a new coach. This one felt kind of inevitable to me, um, but is obviously an important news thing from the week. So many... Uh... So many people had asked, due to the performance of some people in this tournament, some teams in this tournament, can you fire a coach here? Because, like, in some senses, it seems almost wrong to, you know, bring somebody here and then not, and then, and then you know, judge them harshly because these are impossible conditions. I think that with DeBoer, the issue spreads beyond the tournament to the relationship that he had with mm. the players from last year and also in this tournament. Yeah. I don't necess- I don't want to necessarily say I think it's unfair to fire some I I want to say that it's I think it's unfair to fire somebody 
based purely on their results in this tournament and whether or not they won or lost games. But it is clear from how they were playing before the tournament and how they were playing now that the link between the players and the manager isn't there. And mm. and that goes beyond like the the like you know discrete results in terms of who won or who lost. Like like clearly it has not been going well for him. <laughs> no. I was just looking back at our MLS predictions from the preseason, uh, and one of the categories we had was which coaches will get fired, and we didn't have him listed. So, uh, well, that was, that's which our coach mistake. gets fired sweepstakes is, the, and the last thing I wanted to add real quick before we shift is, uh, we did guess Oscar Pereja would be losing his job at Orlando because it's just such a thankless task, and lo and behold, the MLS experience holds true, and he's going up against LAFC in a very interesting game that I'll be watching closely that I feel like I mean LAFC are favorites by far but like I feel like Orlando it's within them to do that game I don't necessarily think they will but I think it's within them to do especially this Orlando that has been uh, has been around in this tournament has looked really great and they continue to Try to break down uh, offenses, and I think that if they are not, um, if they aren't too, if if they don't give LAFC too much, you know, free run, they might be able to uh, have a little bit of a surprise. We've got on the thirty on the thirtieth, the uh, Philadelphia Union versus Sporting KC on the thirty first, Orlando City versus LAFC, and then on the first, uh, Minnesota and San Jose and. New York City and Portland make a doubleheader with the game on the 11th, and uh, with the with the final game scheduled on the 11th, and then after that there will be more soccer for us to talk about because it was announced today that uh, the Island Games Woo. will be taking place. Canadian Premier League will be hosting uh, their version of a bubble tournament uh, in Prince Edward Island. God's country uh, on PEI. This is an important maritime lesson: is that people <laughs> islanders say Prince Edward Islanders say on PEI. Yeah. Is so the tournament will be taking place on PEI. Um, all games. We're going to start on the the thirteenth, so two days after the MLS final, and we'll conclude in September at some point. The schedule is not uh, is not out yet. Uh, the games will be played in closed doors in Charlottetown. Um, they say they will be exploring the opportunity to create an exclusive fan zone for minor soccer players, which would be, a, you know, I, any any fans in crowds is a weird scenario to me. But, of course, the Maritimes have... We're going to suspend know, them in pods over the pitch. <laughs> like little uh, Christmas lights. And they're all going to be on one soccer, so that'll be an interesting. That'll be an interesting sort of continuation of soccer, um, and, and again a return to the, um, the 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 post the post that's so MLS um, world of North American soccer in terms of what's going where. We have heard reports, by the way, that MLS is looking to try and do phase two and phase threes, where in phase two they're going to try and do home market games and all the Canadian teams will play amongst themselves until September in the hope that the board will be open. Uh, the home market experience has been so bad for Major League Baseball. I can only take all of those 
it's hypotheticals. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ugh, there's, it just seems obvious. <laughs> really. Um, interesting prospect of the Canadian teams playing amongst themselves uh, for a number of months. I don't really know what to expect there beyond Toronto winning all the games and Montreal and Vancouver drawing nil-nil. Um, but it, it's the very real possibility right now because the border's closed and it's been made very clear that there's not going to be any exceptions made in terms of quarantining. So if a team goes to the States and comes back, they have to quarantine for two weeks. And if That's... a team from the States wants to come here, they have to quarantine, which is not... And I feel strongly about this because they talked the the, the frame, some of the framing around the Blue Jays in this part. It is not kicking. I don't think that the 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 default should be if the the Canadian team can't play their home games because no one can safely come here. That it, it's that the Canadian government is kicking out the Canadian team. No, this is the Americans. That's yeah. on the that's on the American team to me. Absolutely. Um. There was a, a another tournament that has now uh, reached its conclusion. Sure did. And what an interesting conclusion it was. A team that neither of us have had too many great things to say again about. Um, set this one up for us. So we had uh, the, the NWSL Challenge Cup, um, which has been going on in Utah. And we now know that it has concluded. There has been no COVID outbreak there. Um creating what I think is like really great, really great, really, you know, as we talk about some of this, the soccer issues with NLS, I think that a lot of the games in um, Challenge Cup have been really uh, fiercely competed, uh, competed games. Um, there's been lots of interesting results. There have been lots of interesting games, lots of great goals. Sometimes you have like, you know, uh, a scenario where a team obviously tries very hard for 30 minutes and then gets tired uh, because of the, the issues that are involving, you know, um, conditioning and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But there was uh, things, things after we, the, the time we talked last, um, Portland had uh, upended the North Carolina Courage and, uh, and penalty queen Jane Campbell had uh, made some stops to get Houston through the first round. Well, after the they had only ever been one penalty shootout in uh, in, in NWSL history, there were another two uh, in in the conclusion of that uh, first round of, uh, with Kalen Sheridan with a deciding save to put Sky Blue through against Washington, um, mm-hmm. and uh, and Kalia Watt uh, hitting a Panenka for Chicago to send them through. Um, once you got to this the. Uh, the semifinal stage. I of course was very excited for Portland that, that, that got through, um, in a match where I really didn't think they were going to get through. Uh, but they lost one, nothing to, to Houston where Rachel Daly scored to put them through the, the next, whatever the next stage of the thorns is going to be, um, is going to have to present, prevent itself, uh, mm-hmm. present itself. Clearly, their future is bright when it comes to goalkeeping. Um, yeah. With uh, both Britt Eckerstrom, um, or with Britt Eckerstrom, who's had such a great uh, a tournament, and Bella Bisby, who, who started and then had to leave with an injury. Um, but 
when they're trying to find a, a something to do on attack, they weren't able to do it against Houston. The the other semifinal was so wild to me <laughs> was Chicago versus Sky Blue. They um, you have this game uh, where one of the one of the the players, the Canadian players that has attracted a lot of my attention is Bianca Saint George, who has that first goal. Um, where she cuts back at the top of the box to roll it past Caitlin Sheridan and get it into the left corner um, after Levin, Lewandowski committed uh, really um, particularly. Then you have, she also sets up the second goal. So the uh, Chicago lead with 2 nothing within 20 minutes. And then uh, it's interesting to see Sky Blues, because her body, be, like, be the one to put it, take everybody aside and be like, listen, it's okay. We just scored two. We're going to do fine. It's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it was good. But, it, but there, was a, there was a lot there there because, um, you know, the Chicago get the, got the next goal um, with St. George again setting up Savannah McCaskill. Um, but then you have this sort of weird thing where they, uh, they get um, – almost similar to one of the MLS games where you have the, the two goals late. And now you're thinking, Hey, is something going to happen here? Um, yeah. But in this case, there is no, uh, there was no additional, um, so there was no additional uh, uh, saving sky blue. They, they went out three, two in that, uh, in that game, but we're certainly really interesting to watch her at the tournament. And I felt, you know, um, it's not the absence of players like Carly Lloyd is not the be all end all because they still performed great and they may have performed just as well without, um, without Lloyd. But you know, looking at where they're at, they also have you know a lot of opportunity to go even higher than that in uh, in potential future competitive play. Mm-hmm. Um, this brings us to the final. You have. Chicago, who went to the final last year, couldn't find any purchase against um, North Carolina and lost Sam Kerr, but still continued to be one of the top teams in the tournament, heading all the way through to the knockout rounds against Houston, a team that had not necessarily had the best run of things and was really looking to try and reinvent itself and came up with great results all the way through the tournament. Um, It was... Some, it was one of the strange finals where um, it was marked by a penalty very early on. Yeah. You had uh, Kayla Sharples hauls down Christy Mewis uh, on the break for a penalty. Now I tried to I tried to see and, and look up replays to see where this was. I think it was like a grab of the arm. And initially I thought, is that a penalty? Like, like. Like where where is the actual contact here? But I guess she went out of the game. Um, oh, and she gets sent off in the first half. No, um, oh, Mewis, the player was injured. All right, Mewis left with an injury. So I kind of had initially thought, like you know, if you were looking, if you were looking at where the contact was and when the player went down, I was like, you could kind of say, okay, well, somebody got grabbed in the arm and they came, they went down. But I was, I was looking. I was zaprudering and just seeing, like, you know, what is the scenario there? But I guess she really was injured um, because she had to go off, which is obviously a big, um, a big problem for Houston. But they were able to play through. Um, 
Sophie Schmidt was the one who got the goal, which I love yeah. the the Canadian international um, that she got. It, would, it was eventually the 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 difference maker, but they continued to hold um, all of that. Jane Campbell with some great saves for Houston, um, including two huge saves under the crossbar. Uh, I really think that their strategy to continue pressing and attacking late was mm-hmm. uh, really helped prevent Chicago from from amassing something uh, to some kind of comeback again and it's shake room and stoppage time who scores to make it two nothing and to give Houston Dash what is referred to as the first championship in their history. Nice. Yeah, well done to them. I thought overall it was a great game. Um I, I love seeing a team that can game manage a, a bit, especially in a scenario like this. I think it's easy to want to, uh, especially after an early PK, just take a run at them and see how many goals you can rack up. But I thought it was a very measured approach from the dash. Maybe at times trying to let Chicago into things a little bit too much, but it's you know just as stoppage time begins, Shea Groom uh, gets hit with a great pass and is able to streak past the two center backs and then also the goalkeeper um so congrats to them uh it was a like overall i thought a great tournament um and i i think the the fitness levels of the teams were what really impressed me is that there weren't many games that felt like what we've seen with some of the mls's back games where it it just you're like well can somebody just go and get them some ice just let them (laughs) take a break for a while Mm-hmm. Uh, like in the Vancouver Chicago game, um, but I thought uh, overall it was a, a very exciting tournament, and the, the quality, the levels of play there were definitely there as well. And you for saw... a team like the Dash to win, where they just you, they couldn't seem to decide whether they were coming or going through for some of this tournament, and then dig their heels in. That's what you want in a tournament. You want a bit of a wild card, and it's nice to see that rewarded. It was a great tournament arc, and I think that that that. Uh, the, all having the CBS, I had a terrible luck with all access in the last couple rounds. Um, but having the extra exposure to have it on CBS, all access, and then also to CBS proper, um, you know that first the first game got in the four hundred thousand level, and they set uh, they set the most the final was the most watched match in NWSL history, averaging six hundred fifty three thousand viewers. Uh, which was almost two hundred, or which was almost three hundred percent more than last year's normal final, or last year's yeah. NWSL final. That's amazing. I think that That's one great. of the things that has underlined with this, and, and you've seen uh, accounts pop up to bring NWSL teams after they announced that uh, NWSL is coming to LA with a uh, leadership group that involves Mia Hamm and um, Natalie Portman. Um, you, Natalie Portman's that uh, little-known striker from. <laughs> you will see. Uh, you will. You definitely. I think have seen three more. Uh, three accounts pop up to bring NWSL teams to the the three the three Canadian cities that have MLS teams. Mm-hmm. Um, there is interest in the league, and I think that one of the things that you can absolutely see if you look at the tournament is because it's fun. It's fun to watch this league, and it's fun to be a part of it and feel like you are a part of the community of this league. And, mm-hmm. and I am glad that the tournament has, was executed um, 
on the COVID side of things, safely, there were some injuries and, um, and there were, as much as we're, I think the quality was good, there were some issues with conditioning that may have put people at, at injury risk. Um, but from the COVID side of things, it was safe. And I think that like, it really was a great showcase of all of these players and, and, and the community that exists around women's soccer. And I hope yeah. that people continue to, whatever happens next with um, the NWSL players. And I don't know if they're going to look to do more stuff in 2020. Um, it was a really, one of the things that we talked about at the beginning of this was, was turning to your community in a tough time and uh, about the beginning of the pandemic. And I think that, that has been something that women's soccer fans have really been able to do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That was, there were a lot of games. There were a lot of games <laughs> in this period, <laughs> but I'm going to miss it, but I'm going to, but I know that on one hand, like, uh, I know I look at, I look at home market things and I'm like, I look at a tournament like this and I think that they both, especially NWSL challenge cup. And I'm just like, we complain about regular seasons usually like in a, in a non-pandemic situation we're like oh there are so many games they don't matter because you do the playoffs it's like the idea of just doing a couple of these tournaments a year like and then when they happen you're so excited to see it and it's it's good the only thing that is negative as i've had these conversations on twitter is that they, you have to uh they don't generate weekly tv revenue <laughs> Or TV, TV content and TV revenue, but I love it. It's been great. Yeah, tournament formats are fun, and, and right now I, I think that it, it definitely works better, not just logistically, but I think in order for something to truly lodge itself in your brain right now and make sense at all, it kind of needs to be happening on a regular basis and to be like, we call it the COVID Cup, and you're like, oh, okay, is that what's happening? But if somebody is just like, oh, MLS is back in home markets, but... Some games are getting canceled because not everybody can play because, you know, COVID, um, you know, like actually there's only half the teams playing. Um, some of them are going to play for two months straight. Some not at all. Some will play one game. Some will play 10. Like that's obviously much harder to capture the imagination of folks. So instead of being like, look, it's five weeks, one winner, it's going to be knockout. Just just come. Maybe most teams will, will play in the end. No, two were out, but OK, we're still doing it. It's been a weird time. Yeah, we still have a couple more games to go, MLS wise, and then uh, and then we'll be on to Canadian Premier League uh, and and whatever lies beyond. Until then, where can we find you online? You can find me online doom scrolling on Twitter at that's so MLS and also on Instagram, same handle that's so MLS. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, the other places, and. Also, that's SoMLS.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe. That helps us out a ton. Please do. Where can we find you online? You can find me online at Team Bates, www.team-bates.com. Heck yeah. And maybe soon uh, at the end of Confederation Bridge saying, let me in, please. <laughs> no, 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 I don't know. <laughs> no spectators. I'll, I'll watch it from my couch. The probably. old maritime bubble. The original bubble. <laughs> and until we talk to you next, don't get two players sent off if you're trying to come back from a 3-2 deficit. Wait, so you're saying don't. 
Don't. Don't, don't, don't do okay, it. Okay, okay. 